Want a fresh take on what's going on with the Saints, LSU, the betting world, and the NFL? Then you've picked the right place. Jim Derry has plenty of datitude, and he's ready to tell you the way it is. Well, the way he thinks it is. Well, yeah, nuance. And hello to my friends. Listening elsewhere across this country with your windows wide open on this beautiful fall day with pumpkin spice lattes in your right hands. Okay, maybe that's just me. I'm not ashamed to admit that I drink pumpkin spice latte. You got a problem with that? Try it. You should. It's good. Anyway, welcome to Datitude episode number 10 for a Monday October 18th, 2021. I am Jim Derry, sports betting writer at the New Orleans Advocate, the Times-Picune, and bet.nola.com. I want to first apologize for not having a Friday episode. I actually had a few people ask me about it. I'm glad you're paying attention. Things got a little crazy for me following the call of my prep game on Thursday night. I got a little wrapped up in the after drama. Uh, I'm not going to get into that. We will have a show both Wednesday and Friday this week, so it'll be a three-show week. Um, today is going to be a lot about Coach O. Um, we're going to have Jeff Duncan on in just a few minutes to go into more detail with that situation, the immediate future of LSU football, including who might be the next coach of the Tigers. But don't feel sorry for Coach O. What is it, 16.5 million or whatever? Um that dude hit the lottery. So I don't. I think Coach O is going to be just fine. Uh, we'll talk about uh, the prospects of, of him being able to coach in the future with Jeff Duncan, who is excellent at these kinds of things, uh, knows, and uh, see what he has to say. Also, we'll talk about uh, the Saints coming off the bye week, and they will travel to Seattle next Monday night to play the Seahawks, who... Um, had an interesting game last night with the Pittsburgh Steelers. We'll also briefly touch on that in just a moment. Um, the Wednesday show, we will have uh, Mike Dettelier on to talk about the Saints and LSU. I'm excited to have him on for the first time here on Datitude. And we'll talk to our friend David Grubb about the Pelicans, their opener coming up on Wednesday night against the Philadelphia 76ers. Um, here's your reminder. You can reach me. If you want to be a part of this show, you have a comment or a question uh, for any of our future guests or you want to just make a comment to me, uh, you can email me at jderry at theadvocate.com or you can reach me on Twitter at Jim Derry Jr. Either one of those places. Uh, if you, again, if you just want to comment, you want to have, you have something to say on the Datitude, just let me know. If you go on Twitter, probably put a hashtag Datitude on there. Um, also, you can listen to this podcast in multiple places, as you are right now, most likely, uh, on bet.nola.com. You can listen to it on SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, wherever else you get your podcast. Make sure to subscribe and be notified every time a new Datitude comes out. Again, our schedule is going to be going forward Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Friday is going to be all about the betting aspect of the weekend that's coming up. Uh, we're going to have... Uh, a new guest along with Dave DeCorbier this Friday. We're going to have Uncle Big Nick, and we're going to talk about our, our five-star picks. We're each going to have a little competition against each other. Uncle Big Nick is uh, 
it's quite the character from the West Bank boys. Uh, that's where I was born and raised. So we'll bring a little datitude to this show. I want to give out a, a shout out to Caesar Sportsbook, who is an exclusive partner with us at the Advocate, the Times Picune, and Bet.NOAA.com. And I really think it's going to be this month when that sports book opens. They keep telling me. So I'm going to believe them. We'll see how that goes. I can't wait to get over there and um, get in line. Videos on bet.nola.com later today. Odds and ends on every, like every Monday with uh, Zach Ewing, the sports betting director at nola.com, the advocate in the Times Picune, as well as Devin Jackson. Fantasy Roundup on Tuesdays with Zach and Spencer the Guru Urquhart. And at the book, featuring Cashing In with Carville, James Carville has always got something interesting to say. Uh, that segment is always fun. And then Zach, Devin, and myself go over our picks for the weekend, and we review the big bucks picks, which as of late have been awful, but uh, actually I actually had a better weekend this week. Um, so we do that on Thursdays. However, let's talk about the incredible weekend of sports for a minute. It was insane. It's a good thing the Saints had a bye, and, and Dunk talks about this in just a minute. But got to start, obviously. I, I'm just going to give a brief, short take on Coach O um, and what I think. Look, we all knew it was coming, right? There isn't a soul that's surprised about this. Coach O isn't surprised. No one is surprised. Um, maybe a little surprised at how it came about. And maybe the fact that this was a relief for him, I don't know. Maybe it made him play better against Florida. I have no idea. But I said in in the at the book show last Thursday, I wasn't going to be surprised. Maybe not surprised. I was surprised a little bit. I wasn't going to be shocked if LSU beat Florida. I thought they matched up well against Florida. I really did. Um, I was one of the few who took LSU in the points. Um, I thought they would come out and play better. Because, as I said in the show, you put your hand around a Cajun's neck and stick him up against a wall... And it's not going to be pretty usually for you. Um, he's going to be fighting. And that's exactly what the Tigers did. That's what Coach O did. He fought. And it was, it was a good thing to see. So we'll see. I, I, and it, look, we, we've got a, a much tougher, if you're an LSU fan, this week is not a good matchup. It's just the opposite. LSU does not play the pass well. Um, and they're going to have a coach in Lynn Kiffin and a fan base in Ole Miss who just wants to beat the hell out of LSU, if you don't know that slogan. So they're going to be looking to make it ugly, and I think they can. Right now the spread's 10.5. Um, bet it now. It's not going to go down. And it's not. I, I, just, I don't think it's going to be pretty, so... Again, I hope I'm wrong, but I don't, I don't see it. So, Coach O will land on his feet. Uh, he's got plenty of money, uh, and he will get another job. I don't know about a head coaching job. I don't know that he wants to be a head coach again. Uh, he's probably better suited as a, a defensive line coach or maybe a D.C., depending on where he went. Maybe he'll take time off. Maybe he'll jump right into the, the fray. Who knows? But it had to happen. I mean, that's a lot of money to buy out. I mean, a lot of money. You don't see that that often 
buying out that kind of contract. And you don't see the downfall of a program that fast. Think about where we were just, what, 22 months ago? I mean, this program was at the highest of highs. From And I talked about it with Chris Blair last Monday. If you want to go listen to that great conversation I had with Chris Blair, who talked about glass half full, and I, I texted him, I texted him Saturday night, and I said, you're right. Maybe we should all be more glass half full kinds of people. But I'm not a, I'm not a glass half full guy. I'm not a glass half empty guy either. I think I'm a realist and I'm right in the middle. I see things for what they are and I tell you the way I think they are. Sometimes I get called Derry Downer, but I think that's a joke more than anything because people don't want to hear the way that it is sometimes. And in this case... I wouldn't say it's unprecedented, for, but for a team to fall the way this team has fallen in college football to go this far down the hole is pretty remarkable and not in a good way. Um, but don't get super thrilled because they were able to beat Florida because Florida is not that good, obviously. Um, and like we talk about with Dunk, you know, it's great that you won the game, but you still gave up 42 points to a team that uses a two-headed monster at quarterback, and neither one of them are very good. So that is not a, that's not a recipe for success. And now you got to play probably the leader in the clubhouse for the Heisman Trophy at quarterback this week in Matt Corral. We'll see what happens. If they pull off the shocker this week, then maybe it's a different story. But the good news if you're an LSU fan is the big difference is now. They you gotta you can assume, not assume, they're gonna beat Louisiana Monroe, right? That would give them five wins. So really, to make a bowl game, and I know that's not the goal for LSU fans, but this year it has to be. You want them to just make a bowl game this year, right? Means you only gotta win one other game. I still don't think it's going to happen. I don't think they're going to win another SEC game. I just don't. Um, you look at this brutal schedule that's coming up. Ole Miss, um, they're not going to beat Ole Miss. They're not going to beat Alabama. I don't think they're going to beat Texas A&M, so maybe Arkansas. Um, and it's just, it doesn't look great. But so six wins right now is the goal. That's so sad that we're saying six wins is the goal. It, it really is. But that's where we are. So we'll see where it goes again. We'll talk more about this with Jeff Duncan in just a minute. But how about the weekend of college football? Georgia, Kentucky. Let's start there. No one is beating Georgia this year. Go put your futures bet down in the Bulldogs and book it. Okay? And you'll cash out in January. I think I got it last week at uh, plus 125. It's like stealing. Go bet it. It's going to happen. No one is beating this team this year. I don't care if they play Alabama again. I don't care who wins the SEC West. It doesn't make a difference. They're not getting beat. And they're not going to get beat in the playoffs because who's going to beat them? Cincinnati? Ohio State? I mean, who else? I mean, it's not going to be Iowa now. Iowa losing to Purdue, they're done. Speaking of Iowa losing to Purdue, can we just all finally admit, and I know it's not that hard here, but can we just finally admit the Big Ten's overrated? 
I mean, come on. I know I say this every year. This is the first year of Datitude, but I say it every year. And if, if you're watching, or I'm sorry, not watching. You can't be watching. You can look at your phone screen and see my beautiful logo. But if you're listening to this and you're listening somewhere in the Midwest, and I know we do have people listening in the Midwest I've seen, I'm not trying to be ugly. The Big Ten's not good. They're, they're never really that good. I mean, what would Ohio State do in the SEC? They'd lose three games. What would Michigan do in the SEC? They'd lose three or four games. What would Iowa do in the, S- in the SEC? Lose four or five games. They would. It's, it's, I mean, just like Oklahoma from the Big 12. You put Oklahoma in the SEC, they're probably going to lose at least two, maybe three games. So... You can write them off. So who's Georgia going to play in, in the playoffs that's going to beat them? I don't see anyone. If, the, if no one in the SEC can beat them, no one in the college football playoffs is going to beat them. And I feel differently about Cincinnati than I did. You know what? The rest of college football is really kind of stinky. So you know what? I, I, I said a couple of weeks ago that I thought Cincinnati wouldn't make it in because money dictates everything, and I still believe – that that's how the NCAA is. It's all about money. It's not about who it is. But you, you're not going to be able to leave Cincinnati out now because the rest of college football is stinky poo. You know what I'm saying. But let's leave it at that. Lastly, real quick before I move on, Ole Miss, Tennessee, don't throw things on the field. Don't throw things at a football game. Stay classy, Knoxville. Baseball, how about those incredible Braves? I mean, again, as Bob Euchre would say, judging by the ratings, you haven't watched it. You should. Baseball has been outstanding. Atlanta now travels to play the Dodgers where they are two games to none lead on the favorite Dodgers. Dodgers are still a favorite to win the World Series. I don't know how that is. Um, I think as much as I don't like it, I think you gotta. I think Houston's got to be the favorite, right? They're gonna be tough to beat. But uh, we'll talk more about baseball as we go along the next week or two. It's my favorite time of year, and in my NFL picks, I'm gonna go over them very briefly. My my not all of them, just the ones that stick out to me. Um, and I had a mixed bag week again. But it was better than last week. Right now, going into tonight, Tennessee and Buffalo. I like the Titans this week. Um, I've told you all why. You can go check out my NFL picks column on bet.nola.com. And I uh, go into more depth with it. Uh, Tennessee is getting six now. It was started, It opened at four and a half. Uh, I read a thing on, on my email about trends. Caesar Sportsbook says that 97% of the money. I'm not making this up. At least at Caesars Sportsbook, 97% of the money as of yesterday morning was on Buffalo. Everybody and their Aunt Mabel and Drunk Joe at the bar and Joey, the cook over at your favorite diner, they're all betting on Buffalo tonight. Las Vegas and the bookies don't lose often like that. That's all I'm going to say. 
So if my reasoning isn't good enough for you, just think about that. Everybody and their grandma, and it looks like even the Sharps are betting on Buffalo tonight. I'm sorry, I got to take Tennessee. So, and in fact, I even have Tennessee. I have a small uh, pick on the money line. There, it's I think it's a two twenty plus two twenty five, which is huge for a home team, a, a, a team that's to me certainly a playoff team, probably very likely uh, another division win for the Tennessee Titans. But my entire year of the NFL picks came is it was wrapped up in a nutshell with one game yesterday, and that was New England-Dallas. I had the Patriots plus four. Everything that could go wrong at the end of that game yesterday for someone who took New England like myself did. First off, New England gets the ball back. Okay. They get the turnover. They got the ball. All they have to do, they can turn it over and give up a field goal and lose. They're up by one. <clears throat> they could turn it over and lose, and Dallas gets a field goal, right, if they turn it over. They could punt, Dallas goes down and kicks a field goal and wins. Or they could hold on to the ball long enough to run at the last 2.30 of the clock. Any of those things. No, what do they do to throw a pick six? Okay, well, now I'm going to lose. Wait a minute, no, you're not. New England, very next play. Long touchdown pass. Okay, you're going to win. Don't get the two-point conversion. We don't want it to be a three-point spread. We don't want it to go into overtime. Of course they get the two-point conversion. Goes into overtime. Got to need New England to win the toss. So Dallas won't want to score a touchdown to win. New England wins a toss. They don't score. Dallas, all you got to do is kick a field goal. Oh, there's C.D. Lamb wide open. Waving bye-bye. That is my year in a nutshell. I am, if I win tonight... I'll be eight and six on the week. If I lose, it'll be seven and seven. I've been right around five hundred every week. I've been above five hundred three of five weeks so far. Um, but the problem is the one week, one of the two weeks I was below five hundred was awful. Well, that was last week. I was five ten and one. See, I'm not ashamed to admit it. The picks I love this week: uh, Seattle covering last night, finding a way to come back down fourteen nothing. I thought that was going to be a loss, and then they come back and cover. And it was a perfect scenario if you're a Saints fan. They covered but lost. So Seattle, they're pretty much done. Saints next foe, they play them next Monday night. Then I had the two big favorites winning easy. Uh, <clears throat> loved Indianapolis and the Rams this week. And I've been saying, Indy's a much better team than anybody gives them credit for. I know they played Houston yesterday. But they're a much better team than anyone thinks they are. So watch them down the stretch. They have had a tough schedule. Um, they're gonna, they're gonna beat the, they're gonna, they're gonna beat the spread against teams that are bad. And then, the picks, the pick, the one pick there were, there were two picks that I really didn't like that I took. Looking back, but there was one pick in particular that I wish I had to do it all over again. And I even said this pick made no sense in my picks column, and I took it anyway. Chicago, Green Bay, I'm not sure what I was thinking. All the trends favored the Packers there. And I don't think I had a good reasoning, and it shows what happens when you don't have a good reasoning for picking a team, you lose. So if I had to do that one all over again, I'd be 8-5 uh, and five going into the night instead of 7-6. and six. Let's get to the interview with Jeff Duncan. 
And what he talks about is, you know, what led to Coach O getting to this point, all the things that are surrounding it, um, what's going to happen now, who he thinks his top picks are for replacing Coach O. Let's hear from the man himself who knows better than us. Jeff Duncan here on the Datitude Podcast. Um, is there anything to talk about today, Dunk? No, it's kind of a slow news day. Yeah, it's been a slow weekend. I mean, nothing really happened. I mean, the Saints had a bye. We all just, you know, enjoyed the fall weather, didn't pay attention to any news. There was nothing going on. Yeah, you know, what's funny is uh, these things always kind of come out of nowhere for the most part. I mean, um, but for a Sunday afternoon news drop, that, that's very rare for that to happen. And thank goodness the Saints were off. That's the only thing I can say for the local media corps. Uh, if, if we were all at a Saints game somewhere, uh, that would have been rough. But I'm wondering if maybe that was part of the plan from LSU's perspective. I don't know. It could have been, you know, and I know Tom Benson used to like to do things when um, things were kind of chaotic at times. He would throw little news items out and almost hope they missed the radar. So we do appreciate LSU for doing this one probably the best time possible. No, I know. Yeah, I mean, there's the famous uh, White House Friday afternoon, I think 4 or 5 o'clock uh, news drop. That's kind of famous when you have bad news. Right. Drop it then. And, uh, but this in this instance, it's almost like they took care of the local media. Coach O, um, you know, we were talking about whether he would – I mean, I don't know if you and I had got to that point, but I've certainly talked about in the podcast whether he would make it through the season. At least now we know he will make it through the season – barring anything silly uh, going on uh, the rest of the way. And at least for this program, knowing that he's go- knowing that he was going to be going anyway, at least I think that maybe this helps this team be able to focus on football. And maybe they already knew. Maybe it helped them on Saturday. Who knows? But they cer- certainly look like a different team. Yeah, I think the one thing you can say in all of this, J.D., is that he has not lost the team. I mean, it's impossible to watch that game on Saturday and think players don't want to play for him. And I know there's been some some reports out there saying that. I just I don't believe that. The one thing I'm certain of is his players love playing for him. Uh, they like and love the man. I mean, he recruited them all. Uh, so I don't think that's going to be an issue. I think the decision that Scott Woodward made was in the best interest of the entire football program. And by doing it this way, and I have to give credit to Ted Oberon, his love of the university obviously comes through in this. He's willing to stay on in difficult circumstances for the good of the football program. And I think the key there is not allowing other schools to come in and poach away some of your players. The transfer portal that we have now, I mean, it's open territory. It's like free agency in college football. I think Scott Woodward had to had to navigate all those things and circumstances when he was deciding on not only the future of the program and, and Ed Ogeron, but also when to handle this. And I think they've managed between them to come up with the best decision for the good of the football program. Because really, if you look at it, Dunk, and I would have never said this before Saturday, but I mean, now you're talking about a four-win team that really, you, you know they're going to beat ULM. So, really, they only have to win one other game besides that to make a, make a bowl game. Whether they do that, I don't know, because I think it's still 
entirely possible that they they lose the rest of their SEC schedule. I, I said before the week, I you stick a hand on a Cajun's neck and you never know what you're going to get. It does not. It didn't shock me that they won the game. It shocked me that they played as well offensively as they did. But I mean, who knows what they can salvage out of this season? There is something to salvage. Yeah, and I think the thing that is starting to become apparent is we really don't know yet quite how how the SEC stacks up. I mean, everybody thought Florida was really good, and now I'm starting to wonder how good is Florida, right? I mean, they lost to Kentucky. Uh, they, they lost to LSU. Uh, they may not be as good as we thought they were. They're certainly not very good at quarterback. I think that was pretty clear uh, on Saturday. They've got some quarterback issues. How, how the University of Florida – does not have a better quarterback situation than they have is beyond me. But I think we have to give credit to LSU for rising up in difficult circumstances and getting a win. Now, how do they react from here on out? I mean, this is a tough stretch as it gets coming up at Ole Miss, at Alabama. If you lose those two games, does the motivation start to wane and do things fall apart and you just kind of play out the string? I think you're right. It, it could turn south very quickly when you lose that edge that you had on Saturday. Before we talk a little bit more about the LSU football team itself, I do want to talk about Coach O. And, um, again, everybody, anybody who's paid any attention saw this coming. But to have the fall from grace that he had in just less than two years, it's almost unprecedented, really. I mean, it's not unprecedented, but it's pretty close. Um, and to, to come this, this, this far, what do you think was his biggest downfall? Obviously losing Joe Brady and, and, uh, and, and and some of the assistants that he's had obviously meant a big deal. And you, you had Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and, and everybody else that's in the NFL now. And obviously you're going to take a step backwards, but to take this far, did, did you see this coming that, that they would go this far down? Well, I think it all goes back to, the off season after the national title, um, when he when he really made the egregious errors of hiring Bo Pelini and Scott Linehan to replace uh, Dave Aranda and Joe Brady, I mean, you just cannot make mistakes like that at that level. But we're talking about the SEC West, JD. I mean, it is a merciless, highly competitive division. It's the most competitive division in all of college football. When Nick Saban loses those assistants. He's bringing in Bill O'Brien and Doug Marone, NFL head coaches, on his staff. He's not bringing in uh, retreads or unproven commodities. And I think that ultimately has been Ed Ogeron's downfall. If he could have brought in top-level elite coordinators, he could have been the CEO type to run the program. It reminds me a little bit of like Eddie Robinson when I, when I covered Grambling back in his latter years. Uh, he was not the hands-on coach he was that, you know, made Grambling State football, but he knew it, and he knew he had to have strong coordinators in place to handle the X's and O's and the game planning. That was critical for the last decade of his career, and he was smart enough to recognize that. Ed Ogeron, I think, for whatever reason, was misguided in thinking that this program would continue to operate at the level it was, and you just have to have great coaching in the SEC West, in the SEC in general, and I think it caught up to him. And not only that, but this offseason, having to go to his, what, sixth or seventh option at defensive coordinator, uh, that, to me, was a glaring red flag because in the coaching business, 
everybody knows what's going on. And the fact that you couldn't hire somebody at a higher level at that school with that talent, that prestige, that kind of money, uh, to me was a huge red flag. And we saw how it played out. Coach O fans aren't going to want to hear this, but to me, it's very, very eerily similar to Les Miles. And almost, I think after Brady and Oliva left, almost a stubbornness to say, this is going to be my way and we're going to win no matter what way I do it. And uh, for better or for worse, you know, Les was able to win nine or ten games a year. But things have changed in the SEC West. And like you talk about, it's, it's, it is just a brutal gauntlet of college football. And unless you are just on your A game and bring in the guys like Saban brings in every year, you're not going to keep winning no matter who your personnel is. And it's easy for, it's easy for players to – much easier for players to leave than it was when Les was here. Yeah, and I, I can tell you this. Uh, LSU is a – is a top three to five job in college football. There's no doubt about it. I mean, the fact that they've won national championships with three different head coaches in the last, whatever, 15 years it is, uh, speaks to the potential of the program. And the fact that they've won national titles with Les Miles and Ed Ogeron, I think, frankly, 100%. and candidly speaks to the, the power of that program. So it's going to be an attractive job. They should be able to get anybody they want. But this day and age, being the head coach of the school like that, you're basically a CEO and you've got to have your hands on every facet of the football program. And I think it just got away from Ed Ogeron. He's, he reminds me in some ways of the years I covered Jim Hazlitt with yeah. the saints, you know, Jim Hazlitt knows football. He knows X's and O's just like Ed Ogeron, but being the CEO, he just couldn't handle all the other things that come with being a head coach and we saw it over time after he had that initial success, it kind of, you know, got away from him. And you see the difference when you see the way Sean Payton runs the Saints. He has everything under his control, not one detail that he doesn't know about. And uh, that's what it takes at a school like LSU. That's what Nick Saban has going for him at Alabama and what he had at LSU. So we've seen the standard. We know what the standard is. And I think Scott Woodward, took a couple of years to evaluate and he saw that this wasn't going to be the answer. And I credit him for making a very difficult decision because I know it was not easy to do when he had to do it. Well, Ed Ogeron be a head coach again in, in college football. Yes, I think he will. I mean, I, I, he's going to be coaching somewhere. I think it's going to be at a lower level. Uh, he, look, he's wired to coach. That's what he does. Uh, but it'll be interesting. He's going to have, his choice of where he wants to go as far as uh, he's not going to have to take a, just any job. I mean, he's got a lot of money in the bank. Uh, he he can think? be selective. He's going to be selective. And uh, I think he'll land somewhere and be fine. I, I personally think he's better as an assistant. I really think that's where he, his bread and butter, his strengths are his people skills, his recruiting ability, I mean, there's a reason Southern Cal did not promote him, right? We look back on that, and I know a lot of people thought they should have promoted him, but I think they probably saw some of the same weak spots and blind spots that Scott Woodward has seen. And at a program like Southern Cal, LSU, over time, those blind spots get exposed. Occasion doesn't belong in the Coliseum. 
<laughs> I mean, yeah, well, I mean, he he loved it there when he was there. I know that. I talk fish out of water. Yeah, I know. But, but you know, you can recruit elite players there, and he did over the years. And, uh, you know, I just think it's going to have to be the right spot for Ed Ogeron, and, and good for him. He can be selective at this point. I mean, he's been to the mountaintop. And, you know, I made the comparison today to a, to a colleague of mine that Ed Ogeron seemed to know that he was over his skis. I mean, that press conference on Sunday night, he was basically admitting, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm over my head here. I, I can see it. And this isn't good for LSU. It, it reminded me of like a, a spouse that's outkicked their coverage with their, with their marital spouse. They, they know it's going to be fun for a little while, but eventually it's going to end. And it ended on Ed Ogeron. It's a shame too, because he's such a, a likable guy. And again, like Les Miles, Les, Les Miles was a super, is a super likable guy. And, uh, but so many things went, came down, I think since this, this, since the national championship, not just as coaching, it's well-documented on the advocate. And I think our guys did an outstanding job. Scott Robley's, you know, history piece on what, what went down the past, uh, 20 months. You know, even a successful coach would have tough times dodging some of the things that Ed Ogeron has had to dodge. Yeah, and no doubt about it. And I think it comes back to the point I was making earlier about being a CEO. That's Ed Ogeron's a football coach. He's not a CEO. That's pretty clear. And I think in this day and age, you need someone that can do both. And it's more than just coaching them up, recruiting them. And, and I really think, and I've said this to some people at LSU, uh, I really think they need to really take a serious look at how they're recruiting. I know they get these top five classes every year, but sometimes that's not what, what matters. Uh, they've got to be more selective, I think, in taking some of the players they take so they don't have as much roster turnover. And I know that's, that's endemic of all college football right now. The players are coming and going, but I really think it, it's more than just getting guys that – have five stars by their name. It's getting the right guys. And we see it happen even in Alabama. I mean, Mac Jones was not a five-star recruit, and he ends up being a first-round draft pick. Sometimes you you got to take the right people. And I, I think that's something that the next head coach has certainly got to make a priority. You know, I've said this for years, and I know it's two different things and two different worlds. But the one thing I think Sean Payton is best at is bringing in guys that fit his mold not just as a player, but as character guys. And I'm not saying LSU kids don't have character, so don't take this the wrong way if you're an LSU fan and wondering what I'm talking about. But Sean Payton has a mold for a player that fits the Saints uh, and fits his ideal and the way that they should be both on and off the field. And he continues to be successful because sometimes these kids come in from out of nowhere he's done it with undrafted free agents and low draft picks for years and brings the right free agents in and they continue to win because they believe in him and play the way that he wants them to play. And you don't, you just don't hear about him and they don't want to leave. They want to stay here. And a lot of it also is because New Orleans is a great place to live, I think. But, um, you know, I think that's what LSU needs as well. Yeah. I think you make a great point about the culture that, Sean Payton has fostered and, uh, you know, built here in New Orleans. They've become a destination franchise. And Lord knows that was not the case 20 years ago. Uh, it was kind of a, an also-ran 
uh, outpost. And now this is a place people want to come and play and want to stay. And they, they, they need to do that down in Baton Rouge. They need to build that program from the ground up and build a, a culture. I read a great story by, by one of my colleagues, Pete Thamel, on, on Cincinnati football and Luke Fickle yes. on Yahoo.com. If anybody's out there, you should go read it. And it's an unbelievably in-depth story about how he's built that program. And when you read it, J.D., you immediately know Luke Fickle would win wherever he goes. He's one of those rare coaches, much like Urban Meyer, who won at Bowling Green, then went to Utah and won, then went to Florida and won, went to Southern Cal and won. I mean, I'm sorry, Ohio State. Program builders, they know how to, they know how to get it done wherever they're at. And Luke Fickle would be a great fit, I think. But I'm not sure he would leave the Midwest. I think he's either going to go to the NFL or hold out for that Ohio State job. I don't see why you'd want to leave right now with the way he's got it going at Cincinnati and the fact that they're now going to the Big 12. You can win a national title there. Uh, so he would be a, an ideal fit to rebuild that program, but I'm not sure he's even going to be on the market. He's a former Saint, man. Why wouldn't he want to come back? I know. No, no, no. look, it, <laughs> he's, an, he's an amazing coach. And, and you remember him when he was playing? No, I do not. I know it was only one year. It was probably just a, either a preseason or a, he wasn't here long. But, but uh, you know, it was about the time. Well, you, you, when did you get here in 97? Got, well, I covered the Saints in 2000. Okay, so it was right before you, uh, you, t- you took over. But, yeah, I agree about Luke Fickle. I mean, he's obviously the top up-and-comer. Um, but along those lines, you let in right where I was going. Um, you know, we love to put 10 names, uh, you know, that, that LSU could could be the next head coach. We know it's not going to be probably – I went through those, and there were four or five guys on, the, on our list, like, not a chance. Um, but who will you think are the three top realistic guys, whether they're on the list or not, that could be uh, among the top coach and search candidates in the next – Oh, I don't know, a few months. Well, I think the obvious is Jimbo Fisher, their the connection with Scott Woodward, the fact he doesn't have a buyout. Uh, he's going to be the top, one of the top targets, there's no doubt. Now, whether he leaves A&M, I think, remains to be seen. I think he's building something there and probably feels a little loyalty there. But uh, Jimbo Fisher also knows the potential and power of the LSU program. Uh, he's coached there. He knows. So that'll be a strong lure, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I think James Franklin and Mel Tucker both fit the Scott Woodward prototype, and that is established head coaches, big names to some degree. Mel Tucker's kind of on the way up. But what he's done in Michigan State's pretty impressive. But if you just look at the hires Woodward's made, his track record is he's a big game hunter. He, he gets big names, and, and he – recognizes that LSU is a big job and it takes somebody with skins on the wall. But I don't see him, unless I'm completely reading this wrong, I don't see him taking a, a Joe Brady or somebody like that. I, I just think it, it's too much of a risk at this stage. They need someone. I mean, you have to think about it this way, J.D. I think the way Scott Woodward looks at this job and this hire, who can handle playing Alabama? Who, who takes this program and puts it back on an even playing field with Alabama. That's that's where you have to look at it. They're the measuring stick, and you can't take a chance 
uh, on somebody that might not be able to get it done. So I think it's going to be somebody either already established or somebody we're not even thinking of, maybe even at the NFL level. I love those names that you brought up. Mel Tucker, I don't know to me if he's had enough experience uh, just yet uh, at Michigan State to, at a big-name program to be able to take that big leap. But then I guess people might have thought of that about Nick Saban back in the day too, so who knows. But I love James Franklin. I think he's an outstanding – he's proven that he's an outstanding coach. But, you know, you, here's the one thing, the one caveat about Joe Brady – to me and there are lots of things you read all over social media and 90 percent of them you just kind of like smirk and move on or whatever but the one thing that i've that i've looked at and that does make sense to me is if you get a joe brady and i know you don't want to do get a one guy for one player but i think a, a joe brady would put an arch manning in the mix uh, the, the chance of getting Arch Manning right now are slim to none. But you get a guy like Joe Brady, and all of a sudden, you got to wonder, does that make that a possibility? And what I think an Arch Manning could do for this program is bring them back to where Joe Burrow brought them. Well, if you think Joe Brady is the next, say, Lincoln Riley, yeah, then it might, it might be a move you want to make. But you better be sure of it because if you if you fall on your face there, the step back, I don't know if you'll ever catch Alabama as long as Nick Saban's coaching. And I can tell you one guy I'm, I'm pretty sure it's not going to be, and that's Lane Kiffin. I think Lane oh, Kiffin's God. very happy at Ole Miss, and I don't think that's a marriage that we're going to see happen uh, at LSU. I think it's going to be someone established, and, and I don't think it's out of the possibility that he would go after somebody like Lincoln Riley. Uh, I was going to say, what, you, Lincoln Riley, okay, bring him on. He'd be outstanding. Right, that's what I'm saying. I mean, that's the way Scott Woodward operates. He goes after big names, and we saw him do it with Kim Mulkey. I mean, no one saw that coming. Uh, I think the hire he made in baseball uh, is going to end up being a, a great hire. Agreed. So I think that's the way I think he's going to operate on this. And this is way bigger than any of those transactions. I, I agree. And I, and I think – I think it might even be a name that no one's even kind of thinking about or talking about. It could be, I mean, LSU is to me is such a big job that it wouldn't surprise me if they got some NFL coach to come here or something along those lines. I mean, who knows, but I, I agree. It's going to be a big name and it's going to be someone that, uh, that will have LSU going back to where they used to be. It will get the respect. It will send recruiting classes not to just, you know, they're number five, number six. They'll be back to where they're either one or two with Alabama or one, two, or three with Alabama and Georgia. I think that's what it's going to be, and that's what the, you have to do. Um, and I agree with you about the, the recruits that they bring in here 100%. Um, and I think they need to do more of making sure that the top talent in the state of Louisiana stays here because as someone who's covered high school football throughout much of my 30-year career, um, pound for pound, Louisiana has the top high school talent in the country as far as I'm concerned. I mean, obviously, there, there are more the bigger states as the Texases of the world and the Floridas of the world, but I'm just talking about, you know, you look at the number of kids per capita, and you can't beat Louisiana, in my opinion. No, and that's, that's why this job is so coveted 
I remember when Nick Saban got hired at LSU, I was the beat writer for the Times-Picayune, and I remember talking to him in his office about that very thing. He said, you know, there's no other state in the country that produces talent like this where there's only one truly big, you know, major university. Right. Everybody else has to compete. Florida has to compete with Florida State, Miami, and all the other schools that come in there, and Texas is loaded with big schools. So LSU is going to have the pick of the litter. I think the key for them, though, is picking the right players from the state of Louisiana. It's not always about, like I said, it's not always about the stars. It's about getting the right guys that are going to stay with the program. They're going to have the maturity and the character to stick with it. I mean, we just because you're you're not trying to win recruiting rankings, you're trying to win national championships. And I think too much that raises the expectations so high at LSU because they rank every year in the top uh, recruiting rankings but they retain a lot of these guys and a lot of them don't, don't pan out. And the, and the best example we can look at right now is the running back situation. Everybody thought John Emery was going to be the guy and we see how that's played out. And sometimes it's not about getting the, the stars. It's about getting the best players. Maybe Ty Davis price needed to play a little bit sooner and feed him the rock right. a little bit more. And Ed Ogeron wouldn't be in this situation had they been running the ball the, the first against UCLA as, a, as just one example. And what, what's the kid's name? Uh, you would know the big offensive lineman. Is it Cardell Thomas or? Cardell uh, Tom, Cardell Thomas. Yeah. All right. There's a good example. Big time recruit, five star, whatever he was, what kind yeah. of impact has he had at a position where the LSU is notoriously weak. Yes. Now, who was the better prospect? Would you have been better off getting a, a three star that you could have developed and we'll, we'll actually develop into a, you know, maybe an NFL player one day, or you go and get this kid and it's nothing. I don't want to disparage the kid, but he has not made an impact, but yet he was a huge five-star recruit that hasn't panned out. Those kind of decisions, personnel decisions, they have to be better at them. I agree wholeheartedly. And I think that they will. Um, so I think there's a lot of hope. Look, uh, just a few weeks ago, I, I was, you know, I didn't see a light at the end of this LSU tunnel, but I think now that you're set to move on, and I do believe that uh, Scott Woodward will make, I, I, I mean, I trust in him to make a, a really nice hire, and I think things can change quickly. And the recruits that they have on the horizon, um, I think it will make it easier to, to get someone quickly. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see if, if, if they want Jimbo Fisher. He's been spurned by LSU before. I don't know that. That's really a huge step up for him. Uh, that would, and at his age, I don't know. Do you want to start over? Or do you want to just? You've, it, it's taking you to build Texas A and M into something to what they are now. So, uh, but James Franklin at Penn State is that a huge step up? You're you're making a national championship contender in the Big Ten. Do you want to leave? I mean, to me, he's one of my favorites. I I would love to see him here. But Lincoln Riley. Do you want to leave? I mean, who knows? But I guess Scott Woodward will have to use his best negotiating tactics uh, when he figures out who he really wants. Yeah, I think, Franklin, the decision for him, if he were to get heavily involved, would be has he taken Penn, – is Penn State hit a ceiling in this modern era of college football? Can you win it there? Yeah. Or is the potential so great at LSU – uh, you know, it's a nut, little bit of a one more level higher than Penn State. Uh, but I agree with you. I think he'd be an excellent hire. And I, I just don't see him 
I'm trying to think of the coach's name at Coastal Carolina that obviously has oh, built that yeah. program. Sure. Yeah, I don't know. You know that, that's the kind of guy that I'm intrigued by, but I don't know if Scott Woodward would roll the dice unless he, he has intel in the coaching community that this person is a rising superstar. Or like a Billy uh, Napier. I mean, yeah. you, you same same thing. You can't do that. You have to you have to really know that they're going to be a can't miss. They're an Urban Meyer on the way up is what you have to yeah. decide. Um, just do just you know, I, I this is shows called Datitude, so I can say whatever I want. Just please, no Lane Kiffin and no Urban Meyer. I know those are names I saw floating around, and Urban Meyer I think is going to ha- be available after the season's over. Uh, hopefully. We'll have a coach by then. Uh, as an LSU alum, the, we'll have a coach, and we won't have to worry about that possibility. But no Lane Kiffin, no Urban Meyer. I trust you, whatever else you do, Scott Woodward. That, that's yeah, my answer. I don't think you're going to have to worry about either one of those. Okay, people. good. Uh, let's talk about the LSU football team itself. And um, speaking of you know, Ty Davis-Price, who saw that coming? To me – when you see a kid run as hard as he ran, and I know that the blocking was outstanding. I mean, I don't know where this O-line came from, but the schemes that they drew up and, and the counterplay that we saw them run the same counterplay over and over again, and it kept working. Um, and, uh, you know, one kid I got to give a shout-out to, Jack Mashburn, who played at St. Paul's up here, and is the nephew of, of Pat Mashburn, who worked for us at the Times Picune for many, many yep. years. Um I mean, this kid finally gets his first start and makes a serious impact. I mean, and just some outstanding blocking. But to me, Ty Davis-Price looked like a man possessed, and this kid should have been more involved in the offense from day one. I agree. I mean, who's, who would have ever thought they would run for over 300 yards against Florida? Not This me. team couldn't run it. Couldn't run it at all. They couldn't run. What would they have against Auburn, like 28 yards? Like tw- or yeah, it was in the 20s. Right. So I don't know where that came from. That, I, that goes back. And again, I don't want to, I don't want to take anything away from them. But I'm starting to wonder just how good Florida is that, you know, uh, they're run the same play over and over. I know Ty Grantham. Uh, he's, he's like the ultimate, he's almost like the college version of Greg Williams. He's either incredibly great or incredibly bad. There's no in between with Grantham. And it seemed like he was incredibly bad. It's scheming but up. Dunk, in that but Dunk, they've been they've been really good against the run this year. So it's not like if you talk about their quarterback issues. Obviously, there's one thing that doesn't work in in any uh, to me at any level, and that's two quarterbacks. Pick one. But right. but on defense, they they haven't been terrible. I mean, they've been pretty decent, especially against the run. So that's why this came out of absolutely nowhere. You couldn't have predicted it, and. I don't know if the coaching staff took focus pills this week or whatever, but they came up with the absolute perfect scheme to to get this kid involved. And it just makes me wonder, where the hell was this all year long? I'm not saying you're going to rush for 300 yards a game, but it shows that you should have been running the football at some point. I mean, and not just 14, 16 times a game and let Max Johnson throw it 50 times. And, I mean, why Why now? Why, where was this before? Well, I think this gets back to a little bit of what we were talking about. I mean, you got two young coordinators, Durante Jones and Jake Peets, and both obviously are talented. I know they're well-respected in the profession, but they're both learning on the job, so to speak. Jake Peets is a first-time coordinator. 
and he's going against going against a bunch of sharks, very experienced coaches in the SEC, and we're seeing maybe some of the the growing pains of having to having to roll the dice on young, unproven coordinators uh, at that level. So I, I really think that's part of the issue that led to Ed Ogeron's ouster is he wasn't able to. Ideally, you'd have Jake Peets as a position coach waiting in the wings behind a more experienced coordinator. And, uh, you know, instead you had to you had to go for the potential and the talent that's coaching, but maybe unproven talent. And it's, you know, it's come back to haunt him a little bit. Going forward, do you think they can play with the intensity and um, I guess the effectiveness? I mean, obviously on defense, they're just, they're not good. I mean, the, they have injuries at the wazoo, so I'm not saying I'm giving them a pass because they're still LSU and they still have all these quote-unquote four- and five-star recruits all over the place, so they should be able to replace some of these guys. But And, and I get who they're missing, but you still gave up 42 points, and that gets lost when you win against a ranked team after how bad the season has been so far. But, on a, I mean, can they be focused enough to – to, to make something out of this season that is in shambles at the moment. Maybe a little, maybe it's less shambles than it was uh, four days ago, but it's still in shambles. Well, I think we're going to find out in Oxford Saturday. How, I mean, they're going against one of the top offenses in the country, one of the top quarterbacks in the country. And if they gave up 42 to Florida and those quarterbacks, I don't know, Mac, Matt Corral might have a field day against them and, this thing could turn south very quickly if they go on the road at Oxford and get it handed to them and then have, you have two weeks to get ready for Alabama. I mean, I just think that's a very difficult stretch. If they were, they had a breather in here and were able to kind of get their feet back under them, but they don't have that luxury. Uh, and that, so I could see where the lack of direction, the lack of the, you know, the uncertainty in the program, all that could affect everybody. I mean, you got to think about it, JD. I mean, Every coach on that staff right now is thinking about their future. They've probably got feelers out for jobs. I mean, there's a lot of distractions going to be going on now. I hate to say this, and I hope I'm wrong. Well, I don't mean, I guess it doesn't matter if you lose both of them, but I think the point spread differential between LSU and Ole Miss is going to be worse than it is against LSU and Alabama. I think Lane Kiffin is the kind of coach that if he gets a chance, especially last week was one of those games where – they should, let's face it, I know the point spread was even, but I don't think Tennessee is that good. I just don't. I think they should have steamrolled Tennessee. And, and the fact that they had to go down to the end and they're getting golf balls thrown at them and all, all that weird stuff. Stay classy, Knoxville. Um, but I think if he has a chance to put up a number like 70, which is absolutely possible, he's going to do it. And if, if, if they lose like 70 to 30 or something like that, which again, also possible, I mean, you, you're going to have uh, all the feel good is going to be long gone in the players. I mean, what do you think if you, if you give up those kind of points and, and it turns ugly? That's what I'm saying. That's why I think, look, they're I'm just looking it up right now, 10 and a half point underdogs in the game. Yeah. Give the uh, 10 and a half. Yeah. So, I mean, if that thing, gets away from them, what, do they lose the locker room? And it's not because 
kids don't like Ed Ogeron. It's just there's yes. an attrition, a mental attrition, especially at the level they're competing at. I mean, this isn't this isn't the you know the Big West. I mean, we're talking right. about the SEC West. Every team in there's got great coaches, great talent. Uh, I just think it, it, that little edge you lose, not to mention the the talent that they don't have because of injuries. I think it could get ugly. I agree, and I hope it doesn't. But um, you know, I said before the week last week that I was one of the few that was taking LSU and the points. I think you did too, as well, didn't you? Didn't you take LSU? Uh, yeah, I took LSU. Yeah, I think I you and I were the only would, ones. I didn't I, think they would do what they did. I never saw that coming. No, and I thought if they would win, I thought it would be a lot lower scoring. So I, I did give them a chance to win, but I, I got to be honest, I don't give them any chance to win this game. They do not match up well with Ole Miss at all. Ole Miss is going to – Corral's going to pick them apart. I mean, it, let's let's just face it. I'm not – if I'm wrong, I'll come here next Monday and I'll say, hey, I'm, I'm an idiot. But uh, I just don't see how they I, – I, I think Ole Miss scores in every possession if they want to. But well, here, here's what I would say. One thing I would I would say that gives LSU maybe a chance to keep it close is I think they'll play defensively a totally different game than they played against Florida. In other words, I think Ronte Jones and his staff knows exactly what you're saying. We're going against the Heisman uh, candidate here, quarterback. This isn't Florida. Yeah, uh, you know this isn't Florida. They're gonna I think probably play a lot more shell coverage try to keep everything in front of them, make Ole Miss move the ball in chunks and bites, not, not big, big plays. Right. So I think they're going to play differently. They, they elected to play Florida man to man on the outside and they gave up some big plays while doing it, but they didn't fear the quarterbacks. I think that'll be a different, a different game plan this week. Their middle of the field though is so bad. Um, they're, they're, they're decent on the edges, um, which I agree with you. I think that, as far as giving up big plays, I think they'll be. That's the reason why I don't think it will be in the 60s. I think the score. I think Ole Miss will score in the in the 50s or upper 40s or 50s. I think they could, depending on how bad the game progresses. But LSU is decent on the outside. They are awful in the middle of the field. They can't stop anything. You know, you got those 15 15 yard slant routes in the middle of the field. They can have that all day long if they want it. And, and I think that Lane Kemford and company are going to see that. So, But I hope I'm wrong. Uh, I would love to see another week of at least play well. Even if you don't win, just play well and uh, keep the morale up in that locker room and make them want to play the rest of the year, and let's keep that transfer portal clean. Well, well I think Lane Kiffin, you're right. He's the kind of coach that sees this as an opportunity for his program. Uh, they're going to want – to make a statement in this game to every kid from the state of Mississippi that in the past might've gone to LSU. We've seen LSU go in and get a lot of great players out yep. of Mississippi. He's going to want to make a statement here to, to indicate a change in direction of these two programs. So if he can do it, he will, because he will want, he will want to kind of use this as a barometer a gauge game for the, for the status of these two programs. And if he can lay it on LSU, he will, trust me. And not only that, Dunk, last thing on LSU, but a lot of LSU fans, especially the younger ones, don't realize this. This used to be like the rivalry, at least for LSU and the SEC. And it still exists with Ole Miss. There is nothing they 
They want nothing more. Forget about Mississippi State. There's not, they don't want anything more than beating LSU. So LSU doesn't care about Ole Miss anymore. I mean, it just they've been irrelevant for most of the past 25 to 30 years, except for a game here and a game there. But there is nothing Ole Miss fans want more than to beat the hell out of LSU. And that's what they're going to try to do this week. So LSU fans, the, again, the ones that are under 35 or so, that's what they need to realize what's coming up this weekend. Yeah, and I, I think I might be wrong on this, but I think I think they're retiring Eli Manning's jersey at oh, halftime okay. this game. Right. And I think Arch Manning's going to this game. So, okay. like, there's a lot of external factors that lead this to being a bigger-than-normal game. And I think them escaping Knoxville with that win, uh, yeah, it's all, all the everything's adding up in the direction of an Ole Miss blowout. I agree 100%. Let's move on to the New Orleans Saints and um, had a, having an off week, um, you know, a much-needed off week. We've talked about this before. I'm not a big fan of early bye weeks. Uh, I think more times than not, they hurt you later on. Um, and I think teams that have bye weeks in like week 12, 13 or whatever end up getting an advantage, but not in this case. I think the Saints obviously – uh, it came at a good time for them. And, Dunk, uh, where do you think they stand health-wise? Well, I wrote about it this week. I think they're going to get back some key guys. And Quan Alexander is definitely going to be back unless he has some kind of setback in practice. I think Mike Thomas is definitely going to be back. Uh, Traquan Smith and Teron Armstead, I think, both have a chance to be back. A lot of this is going to depend on how they respond to getting back on the field. I know that the Saints are very cautious with these guys coming back. They don't want to have any setbacks. So even Mike Thomas, if he plays on Monday night against Seattle, which I expect him to, it's not going to be throwing back in the lineup full bore. They're going to wait let him wade back in. So I would imagine he'll be on a pitch count. Uh, they don't want to. They want him for the long haul. So I think those four players are the ones most ready to come back. I think Eric Coy is right behind. Um, those calf strains, again, those are finicky injuries, those soft tissue injuries. If you come back too soon, you run the risk of restraining it and you're out another month. So I think they'll be cautious with him as well. Uh, and then we know David Onyemata is going to be back after this game from his suspension, and that's huge. In my opinion, he's the biggest biggest impact player that that is out right now, even bigger than Mike Thomas because I think he creates a domino effect on their defensive line. Right now, nobody that the Saints play fears their interior defensive linemen, so they're able to single block those guys, and now they're double-teaming Cam Jordan, and he's not quite having the impact that he normally has. That's going to end when Mata's in there because he's a difference maker inside, and I think it's going to open up things for that defensive line. And then Davenport, uh, I think, is another guy that's going to make an impact when he does get back. But I wrote about this, J.D. I mean, you know this. How how confident can you be, given the track record of Marcus Davenport, Teron Armstead, Traquan Smith, Quan Alexander, that those guys are going to stay healthy the rest of the year? I mean, they just haven't been able to do it for whatever reason. So while it's good that they might get these guys back, I'm not sure how long they stay healthy. Yeah, people talk about uh, players hate to hear this, and fans actually to, to a lot – to some degree as well, but the injury prone, I mean, you can hate it all you want, 
But if you continue to get injured year after year, uh, sometimes twice in the same season, you know, the, you got the tag. It is what it is. Teron Armstead gets hurt all the time. He, he just does. I mean, Marcus Davenport has now gotten hurt multiple times. Quan Alexander, how many times has he missed multiple games in his career? So you're 100% right. And, yeah, but I guess you can't think about that. You just have to throw them to the wolves and hope that, that they can. It's not like you can save them. I mean, like, give them another week or two if they're ready to go. I don't think it changes anything. No, and then it's it's just so strange, too, because certain players, I think right off the top of my head, Malcolm Jenkins, DeMario Davis, Cam Jordan, they're never hurt. Knock, I mean, those, knock, those, knock, those knock, knock, the, knock, knock. <laughs> no, they're three of the, three of the most, most uh, durable players in the entire NFL. Uh, they're Iron Men. And, uh, you know, it's just, I don't know if it's luck or, or what, but uh, they take care of themselves or just genetics, who knows, but... Certainly, it's 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 not a. I'm not I'm not knocking these other guys. It's just like you said, it's the reality of the situation. But I do think the Saints have found the formula. They know how to win games. This defense is legitimate. Their kicking game is obviously strong. Once Will Lutz comes back, I think it's going to be solidified. Uh, I think the uncertain status of Taysom Hill and Deontay Harris certainly something we have to monitor. Uh, I know that was a bad concussion Taysom Hill yeah. took. They almost kept him in uh, in D.C. overnight, and he almost didn't come back because it was, they wanted to monitor him. Uh, those things are really up to the protocols of the concussion program. So we won't know if he's going to be back available this week or not. I think Deontay Harris with the hamstring, I don't expect him back. That could be a few multiple-week injuries. And those are two of their key playmakers on right. offense. But at least they know what they're working with, right? the coaches can put together a game plan. It's not like they lose them in the middle of the game. That's why I thought that that win at, at uh, Washington was so impressive because they lost two of their key offensive chess pieces in the middle of the game and had to adjust on the fly. When's Will Lutz come? you think that there's a chance Will Lutz plays Monday night? No, Will Lutz is definitely out. Oh, definitely He's going to be out. Yeah, I mean, the fact that they signed uh, Robinson off the practice squad, Uh-huh. From another team, that means he's on the roster for three weeks. That that was an gotcha. indicator to me that Lutz is going to be out multiple weeks, so they wouldn't have they wouldn't have made that move. Um, what happens now in the, in the return game? Well, they use they use Camara there right. last week. I'm not sure they're going to keep doing that. They might use Ty Montgomery. I think he's a guy that's returned in his career. Certainly a valuable player. Uh, but they don't have anybody like Deontay Harris. I mean, he's the best in the league, I think, or at least one of the best. So that that's definitely a setback. I think this game on Monday night is going to be tough. Even though I, I don't, I think Geno Smith, you'd certainly would rather play him than Russell Wilson. And we saw against the Steelers on, on Sunday night. I mean, he really struggled. Uh, but it's on the road. This is a desperate team. They've lost a bunch of game in a row. Uh, that crowd is going to be frenetic. Uh, it's going to be important for Jameis Winston and that offense to not make mistakes because I think they win the game if they just don't turn it over and they play good defense because I can't see Seattle having success moving the ball consistently on the Saints' defense. I agree. Uh, although Seattle surprisingly looked uh, pretty pretty good running against running the football against what I think is a pretty good run defense in Pittsburgh. Um but 
we'll have to wait and see. And, and again, I, I agree with you. I think if the Saints don't commit any turnovers, or at least if they win the turnover battle, I don't see how they lose. So uh, we'll see how that works. And look, just don't look ahead. You can't afford to look ahead. I know we got a huge one in the dome the Sunday after that, but you can't be thinking about Tom Brady when you're going against Geno Smith. No, hundred percent agree. If you win this game on Monday night, you come back on a short week. The one good thing about this bye week we didn't touch on was I guarantee you the saints have used part of this bye week to look ahead to Tampa because they're going to be on a short week. Not only are they play an NC, you know, on Monday night football, it's all the way across the country. So they're going to be flying back overnight. I mean, people don't understand. I mean, they get on a plane. They probably won't get on the plane till midnight Pacific Coast time. They won't get back here till 4 or 5 in the morning on Tuesday morning. Uh, the coaches are going to get very little rest, and they got to turn around and prepare for maybe the best team in the NFC or one of the best teams uh, on Sunday. So I guarantee you they've used this bye week to look ahead a little bit and prepare to cut down on the preparation, uh, the short week that they're going to have in preparing for Tampa. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Like, truthfully, I'm, I'm not. But it's kind of strange that the Saints would come off a bye week and you play on a Monday night across the country and then come back home and play, obviously, the team that you need to beat more than anybody else to have a chance to win this division again. That's kind of strange. Yeah. Come on, JD. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you can find that not, in every it's season. Not, it's not random. I mean, you, you don't just throw a schedule into a computer and it spits out and you say, here you go. It doesn't work that way. No. I mean, it, it gets, but every team has got wonder. like, every team's got one of those weeks where, you Tom know, Brady it does like stuff. I guarantee they do. If you looked at, you know, I'm going to go you study just look their schedule. these schedules. I just think like you can find something. Try to put together a schedule that's going to make every all 32 teams happy. It's not going to happen. I actually think the Saints' schedule this year is pretty pretty darn user friendly for the most part. Obviously, what what I think is lost on everybody was losing that Packers game. I mean, remember remember this. Yes. The Saints, the NFC, already had one less home game than road games this year because of the 17 game schedule. And then the Saints lost one of those right. home games. So now they're playing essentially seven home games and ten road ten games. Ten road games, that's right. Yeah, we you know, And they, they will only have played one game in the Superdome after this week. Other, uh, no other team in the league's close to that. Yeah, so it's, I think it's insane come, that you go into November and you've only played two home games. That's insane. No, and if you, if you come back from this game at four and two and have played one game in the Superdome, you got to feel really good about your chances down the stretch. I don't disagree, but I think these next two weeks are going to tell us a whole lot about this football team. Um, Jameis Winston, I, one of the things I like is that the talk has gone down on Jameis Winston. You don't hear the chatter as much. Um, he isn't, to me, has improved, except for obviously the Carolina game. I think he's gotten a little bit better every week. It looks like he feels a little bit more comfortable in the offense. It looks like Sean Payton feels a little bit more comfortable with him. You and I talked about it a couple of weeks ago. This is as much about Sean Payton feeling out Jameis Winston as it is Jameis Winston learning this offense and trying to feel comfortable and only five games in. And so far, I got to say, I know there's a lot of people who won't agree with me, but I think he's progressed pretty nicely. 
and it's getting to the point where um, I think by in a few more games, I mean, I think he's going to be able to, they'll be able to put a lot more on his plate and do a lot more things. I agree. I think, I think it's a learning process. There's a learning curve involved from both sides. And Drew Brees talked about it, right? Uh, it didn't happen overnight for him, and it's not going to happen overnight for whoever was the next quarterback. And I think the, the, the interesting thing with Jameis Winston is it's such a, a different role that he's playing. When he was in Tampa, he was the number one overall pick. You know, he won the Heisman, he won a national title. He was supposedly going to be the savior of that franchise. And I think he, he had to always think of himself as this hero, and I think it got him into trouble. I think now he's being asked to be just a game manager, and that takes a mindset. It takes an understanding of key situational football, and I think he's done a good, really good job of it so far, but I think it's still an adjustment for him, and we see every once in a while where he slips back into that that hero mode and it gets him into trouble, and I think we're going to see this gradual improvement from him as the season goes on along with Sean Payton standing what works for Jameis Winston, what doesn't work. And I think the one thing that I – there's a couple of things I, I want to see from Winston. I think he has to get better at feeling the pocket, feeling his pocket awareness and pocket presence. Uh, those type things, I don't know if you can coach it. I asked Sean Payton about it last week. He thinks it's coachable, but it's also instincts. And I think Drew Brees was the best I've ever seen at that. It's not necessarily being mobile and running and scrambling. It's just – the little side steps and the things to feel the pressure so you don't end up getting your foot stepped on by Andres Pete. The easy thing to say in that situation, J.D., is, oh, my gosh, Andres Pete got bull rushed back into him. It's, it's his fault. No, you know, Drew Brees probably doesn't have that happen to him. He probably feels that pressure and just innately slides and gets the pass off without getting stepped on. Those are the kind of things that I think those little small details in the quarterback play that when you have a hall of fame, first ballot player like Drew Brees that we're seeing, not everybody's got that sixth sense in the pocket. That is one thing I want to see Winston get better at. Then the other thing is we haven't seen him operate in a pressure situation yet. It's weird. The start of the season has been pretty much devoid of drama. Right. The Saints have right. been way ahead or they've been hopelessly behind except for that Giants game which was weird. The Giants just kind of caught fire at the end, and the Saints really only had one drive uh, because it went to overtime and they couldn't make a stop. So we haven't seen him have to win a game or even have to operate that two-minute drill uh, that Drew Brees was so great at. I want to see how he responds in that situation. They're going to have to also figure out a way to run the football and not just with Kamara. And if Taysom's out, um, that takes away that that aspect. So that's going right. to be an in- interesting um, interesting. Uh, facet of the game. Um, and then wasn't Dwayne Washington kind of nicked up a little bit too? Yeah. Yeah. I think he might've had a, got his bell rung against uh, Washington too. I mean, divine Zigbo is the guy in there right now. I like him, uh, but that's big, big step up for him to step into that role. Yeah. They go from playing third and fourth quarter of preseason games to playing against Seattle and Tampa Bay's first string. We'll see how that right. works out. But we see it all over the league. You know I mean? I, I Seattle's missing Chris Carson. And I mean, they're, they're playing backups. I mean, sometimes I think one of the things that we have to do, and I try and do this in my writing. It's one of the things I try to do the most is provide perspective. The saints have had a ton of injuries. There's no doubt about it, but just look around the league. I mean, 
it, it, everybody is dealing with these things. I mean, you just see it across the board. Um, there's one team I think played yesterday. I forget who it was that had four of their five starting linemen out. It, it's yeah. just, uh, you know, injuries are rampant and it's how you manage it. And probably the thing I admire the most about Sean Payton as a coach is he does not allow that to be an excuse. He doesn't even acknowledge it. And I think it must come from the Bill Parcells coaching tree because Nick Saban's like that in Alabama, Bill Belichick's like that. And I think it's a good, a good example for everybody. I mean, you just can't use those injuries aren't an excuse, COVID, all those things. The Saints just do not play into that. They don't play the victim card. Instead, they figure out a way to get a win with what they have. And I think that's his, I think it's his greatest strength as a coach. All right, we're going to fit, wrap it up with three big questions. Um, the first one, they, they'll go out of order a little bit. Usually I like to ask the toughest question first, but I'm not going to do that in this case because we're, we've been talking about the Saints. Number one, is this up to this point, is this the wildest NFL season that you've seen in recent memory, a regular season to this point so far? It's been crazy to me. Yeah, and I think it's going to continue to get crazier. Like, I, I personally, I told a friend of mine who's a big Arizona Cardinals fan that I thought they were going to have a, a huge drop-off this year and they were going to be, be one of the big disappointments in the league. So it shows you, shows you what I know. And Kyler Murray's playing like uh, an MVP candidate. Uh, I just I think this is going to be a crazy year. And that's why I think the Saints are still in great shape uh, with, with getting all these players back. I think the NFC is wide open. I don't disagree. Um, I don't know about great shape because I think uh, you still, I think any chance to win this division, the only way to win this division is to beat Tampa twice. Um, and I don't know that they can do that again. Uh, we'll see. But, uh, and I think if you, if you're a wild card this year, this is not that there's any year you want to be a wild card, but to me, this is even tougher year than most to be a wild card. To, and you end up going to a green Bay or you end up, going to an Arizona or you end up going to a Tampa Bay. I mean, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting year for, for sure. in, in the playoffs and uh, it's, it's going to be fun. I think um, question number two, all right, we talked about the three names or whatever. I want you to tell me, look into Jeff Duncan's crystal ball that you don't usually look into until December 31st, but I want you to look into your crystal ball and I want you to tell me who is LSU's next head coach. Wow. Well, you're putting me on the spot. Yes, I um, am. If, if I had to make a guess, I would say James Franklin is who I would say is the, the most likely candidate to end up here because I don't think Jimbo Fisher is going to leave Texas A&M. I like that answer because he's probably number one on my wish list. I think he would be a perfect fit. And um, I think he's made the trans the transgression from – Vanderbilt to Penn State, I think this is the perfect place for him. Um, and I think he could be here for a long time, bringing in lots of great recruits. And I think LSU would be on back in the top of the playoff talk for quite a long time to come. I think that would be an excellent hire. Question number three, will Zion Williamson play for the Pelicans before Christmas? <laughs> yes, he will. And he needs to. Uh, I mean, that, that franchise desperately needs some positive momentum. Uh, I think the start to the season is going to be critical. Uh, I, think, I don't think they can afford to get off to a really bad start. Just, just with, with the fan base 
and how much anxiety they already have, how much they've been asked to be patient. Um, they need to get him back, and he needs to be healthy. And he's got to take some accountability too, J.D. I mean, uh, you know, he's got to stay in shape. He's not in good shape. I know part of that is because it's a lower leg injury and you can't do a lot of cardio. But that photo of him from 2019 Media Day compared to 2021 was eye-opening. Uh, if he's going to be the leader and wants to be great like he says he does, then he's got to start acting like it. How does a franchise allow – I mean, I know players do whatever the hell they want when it's not – when they're not working, but still, I mean, you keep tabs on these kids, and, I mean, I would think that at some point you would know what your franchise looked like because he is the franchise. You can say whatever you want. He's the franchise. So how do you not stay on top of this and make sure that these kinds of things doesn't have these things don't happen? I mean, it's three years – it's now something every year with this kid. And I love him to death. And I think he can be just an incredible big-name player. But he can't stay healthy. Yeah, and look, I, I, it goes back to, you remember Norman Hand, right? Late, great Norman yeah. Hand when he played yeah. here. Remember when they had him on like a, a personal diet and trying to get him in shape? Yeah. And I'll, I'll never Going to wing place, for Christ's sake. But I remember they had him eating these certain personal chef prescribed meals, and he was eating those. And and but I remember it was when the Saints were up for a playoff berth, and and he had everybody over to his house in the local media. We all went out there, and in his kitchen, the cupboard was filled with like Hostess Twinkies Jesus. and cupcakes and everything. So, and I remember thinking. It just shows you, I mean, they can't watch these guys 24 hours a day. Yeah. He was eating his right meals, but then at late at night when he's on his own, they're going to do what they want. And I think the same thing's true as Zion Winston. Zion has a personal chef, has somebody giving him the right nutrition, but he's still a young guy and he's still figuring out in the league and he's got he's to start maturing, I think. The big wiggle. I'd like to see Zion do the big wiggle. Oh, yeah. He was the best, man. <laughs> Very underrated player in, in Saints history. There's no question about it. Look, one one quick thing. The Pelicans do start their regular season Wednesday. Um, you talk about having to get off to a to hot start. Um, it, it's hard to get a good vibe, though, with this team going in opening day. You're great at, at positivity. Uh, you're one of the most positive people that I know. So, Tell me something that's going to make me feel better about this Pelican season and why it's something that we should all look forward to. Well, I think Willie Green is a big reason. Willie Green seems to be, I think, well-respected around the league. I think he's got his finger on the pulse of the locker room. And I think these guys genuinely respect him and want to play for him. He has that the credentials of being a former player. And in this day and age in the NBA, that's important. The Pelicans have the talent. Uh, I mean, I know they've got to get Zion back out there, but – I think they need to adopt Willie Green's attitude. This was a guy that forged his way into the NBA, was not a huge superstar draft pick or anything, and he forged a, a long career by having the right attitude. And I think if he conveys that attitude to his players and they, they adopt that, this team's going to be really fun to watch, even without Zion. I think they can grit out some wins early on while they're, while they're shorthanded. Agreed. And Lanyab question, was that a check swing or was that a strike? Oh, gosh, that was definitely <laughs> a check swing. The only, thing I'm, the only thing that's made me 
feel better about it. First of all, it wasn't going to matter. He was not going to get a hit. Oma Flores was not going to get a hit. He was 0 for 17, I think. Yeah. A lifetime against Scherzer. But I think we can both agree on this. We both love Peter Kovacs, our, our executive editor at the Times Picayune. Yeah. But I'm rooting like hell for the Atlanta Braves to take care of business and wipe out the, the evil empire of the Los Angeles Dodgers. And uh, they're off to a good start in doing it. What a fun win last night. I mean, I got I didn't think the Braves had any shot last night. That team, that team plays with heart. I mean, it, yep. they are fun. Whether you I mean, I know they're from Atlanta, so a lot of people from New Orleans, even if they follow baseball at all, they can't root for the Braves just because they're from Atlanta. But this team is has heart, is fun to watch. When you just got I mean, they're hard not to root for if you watch them. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And it's baseball is amazing, isn't it? It is. It's, the postseason baseball doesn't get any better. The drama. I mean, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge Giants fan, as you know, and I was on the edge of my seat for those games against yep. the Dodgers. I mean, yeah. it was just incredible theater, and it's what makes sports such a great uh, – you know, so why, why we're in the business, see games like that. I agree, and there's no question in my mind. Um, I know you might think March is the greatest month of of the year, um, but to me, October is the greatest month of the year because you got all the football getting in the gear. What, no matter who you're a fan of, unless you're a fan of the Lions or the Jaguars or maybe the Dolphins, your team's still in it. Um, there is hope, and if you're you know, and baseball playoffs are going on, basketball starting. October to me is the greatest month of the season and uh, we're going to enjoy it for a few more weeks. Jeff Duncan of our own, our own Jeff Duncan of the advocate and time speaking. Thank you, sir, for uh, taking so much time when, when I know you have a lot of things going on. My pleasure, JD. Let's do it again soon, buddy. Sounds good. Talk to you later. Says it all, doesn't it? That's why I love having him on the show. I mean, he, he's got, I mean, Duncan has insight that, that other people just don't have. And he, not to mention, I hate that phrase. I can't believe I just used it. But he is, in my mind, the best NFL columnist on the planet. I mean that sincerely. He really is. And not just because he of the things he knows, but just his writing style. He makes me jealous, for sure. There are very few people that I wish I could write like, because I think, I mean, you know, Sure, I have a little bit of ego. It is what it is. Um, but Jeff Duncan is someone I wish I could write like Jeff Duncan. I'll just say it like that. That is going to wrap up this show for today. It's been fun. Um, it's been uplifting for the most part, as much as it can be uplifting with what's going on with Coach O. But I think there's a lot of relief around, right? We can be relieved now. We knew it was going to happen, and now... They can focus on football and focus on a coaching search all at the same time. I don't think it will be the distraction it would have been had they not done this this way. I think it was handled outstandingly so far by Scott Woodward and the LSU people. Um, it's going to cost them a lot of money, but it was handled the right way. And uh, so we can be happy with that. On Wednesday... Already looking forward to Mike Dettelier coming on the show for the first time. We will talk Saints in a little bit of LSU, and maybe we'll talk about, uh, I don't know, college, college prospects. I mean, the draft isn't that far away. We've got to finish the season first, right? So anyway, we'll, we'll see how that, that conversation goes with Mike. 
And then we will talk to David Grubb about the New Orleans Pelicans and their season opener against the Philadelphia 76ers and the prospect of Zion Williamson being out for who knows how long. Right? Yep. Don't forget, you can catch all the videos on bet.nola.com. Odds and ends on Mondays with Zach, Devin, and myself. Fantasy Roundup on Tuesdays with Zach and Spencer Urquhart. And at the book on Thursdays featuring Catching In with Carvel, Zach, Devin, and myself. We will see you on Wednesday with another great Datitude podcast. Peace and love, my friends.